Welcome to the Women Make Science Fiction Across the Media Universe podcast. I'm Amy Chambers. And I'm Lyle Skeens. And we're your hosts until they replace us with robots. Or men. Uh, (laughs) This is our first episode um, and it's built from um, a project that I started um, as a way of getting through lockdown and um, staying in contact with my friends and also doing something that was um, interesting to me, which was looking at uh, women in science fiction. So just to give a brief introduction, I am a senior lecturer in film studies at Manchester Metropolitan University. Um, with a particular interest in um, representations of science, women scientists and the connections between science and religion on screen. Um, and I've become in recent years really interested in how uh, women are involved in the production of media um, from research through to writing, production, uh, cinematography, as well as um, how those women are represented on screen um, and behind the camera. Lyle? Hi, I'm Lyle, and I think one of the cool things is that um, unlike many other podcasts in which two women host, uh, we have very distinct voices, and so you can always tell who is talking. <laughs> I, I am have no idea what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one with the horrible American accent, uh, and so I will always sound less smart than Amy. Uh <laughs> Uh, I'm a, uh, also a senior lecturer. Uh, I do practice-based research. So I'm a, I'm a creative writer, uh, but also, well, mostly a digital designer. I like writing digital things, digital stories and, and reading digital stories, interactive fiction, uh, story games, twine games, hypertext fiction, that sort of thing. So, um, but also I'm a, I'm a film nerd, I guess. I mean, my, my research area isn't film, but uh, I, I, I'm a giant nerd and I will watch something when over and over and over. Uh, and I love new stuff. And when Amy said that she was going to, uh, do this sort of pandemic project, lockdown project, uh, and make this list of, of science fiction made by women. Um, also I'm a giant science fiction nerd. Uh, so I jumped right in and said, I will do it with you. And so if you followed our, our live tweets so far of the, us watching the films, you'll note that Amy has these brilliant insights into the films and analyzing Mm -hmm. them and breaking them down. (laughs) And then there's me going, who is that? What happened there? Did a body part? Although I got totally obsessed with eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What is that? I didn't realize the eyebrow thing was a thing. What? (laughs) Who who decided that? Sorry, this is us talking about evolution, which is the film that we watched. Yeah. uh, Okay, so that's for a later episode. Um so so why don't you start by say you know, giving a, a more details about what we're actually doing, like like why the podcast, what what is the the course of action for this project? Uh, some of this is based on um, a project that I've recently been involved in um, called Women Make Horror, uh, which is going to be an edited collection with Rutgers Press, um, edited by the wonderful Alison Pierce from the University of York. No, edited by the wonderful Alison Pierce from the University of Leeds. Um, And this particular project um, has been developing over um, a couple of years and looks at the idea that women are assumed not 
to be horror film directors are not seen as being involved in that particular genre. Um, and I wrote a chapter about the horror, pregnancy horror, Revenge by Alice Lowe, um, and got really interested in this sort of connection between writing, women's experiences, um, and also the issues with being a woman working in uh, genre filmmaking. So I wanted to do something similar that worked with science fiction. Um, and during this time, I was also asked to run a uh, film course at Home Cinema um, and Arts Space in Manchester, um, which is an amazing uh, independence arts venue um, in the centre of the city um, that does a lot of work with um, people in the city as well as thinking about why people are interested in the different art forms um, that they cover and how they can get people to engage um, with those art forms. So I was invited to come and give a 12-week um, course uh, last January, obviously, um, and um, I did a course called Women in Science Fiction, and part of what I wanted to do was screen um, a film that was directed by a woman. I thought if I was going to do a gender-based, genre-based um, course, it should include some of the creators of science fiction. And so I went to making a list um, of all the films I could find um, that were directed by women, and it took me an alarmingly long time. <laughs> to come up with an alarmingly no about, number. <laughs> <laughs> about 20 uh, examples, some of which I'd never seen and some of which I'd never heard of. And then... Um, Working um, with home, I wanted to, we were going to put on a screening, and I wanted to show Barbarella as this sort of representation of femininity and the woman in science fiction and the sort of stereotyped siren of science fiction. Um, but if you've seen Barbarella, it's quite complex in terms of it's how it represents uh, femininity and that woman character, disregarding a lot of the problems with. I'm not going to go into the issues surrounding Barbarella, but in terms of that sort of representation of women in science fiction, it was very had a lot of stereotypes and expectations surrounding it. And then I wanted to balance that with a woman directed um, science fiction film, um, and we actually quite struggled to get hold of the rights to screen um, a woman directed. Um, film because the most obvious example and the one that um, usually gets filmed would be Strange Days um, which was um, Catherine Bigelow yeah. film from 1995 and it's it's one of the more accessible recognised science fictions to be directed by a woman um, but we weren't able to get the rights to screen that particular film um, and so we sort of went through various different um, films and examples and I found out that they were doing um, a retrospective on the short films of a Nigerian filmmaker, British-raised, Nigerian-born filmmaker, um, Ngozi Omora. Um, and um, she had, in fact, directed a science fiction or an Afro-futurist film um, in the mid-1990s as well. Um, and we did manage to get the rights um, for that particular um, film. And I started to get really interested in why these films are difficult to access, why there are so few relatively, if there was um, more that I could um, find. So for like the last year, I've been keeping a list of uh, films directed by women that can be defined as science fiction. And it started to build progressively. And as I've started to um, come into doing this sort of like attempt to watch every single um, women director science fiction film and review them all um, as well um, I have come across new examples so each week I've found um, 
a new example for me to add, either as a short film, a television series, or um, a feature film. I think um, so it's important it, to note, though, that it's it's pretty finite, the number here. Um, the fact that we can even <laughs> do this project with, you know, in, in the time frame of our lives shows us yes. how <laughs> few pieces there are. Uh, yeah, good to be able to go, let's watch every single woman-directed science fiction. You've got to be able to have... It's a limited... Uh, and particularly number. given that... You know, by all accounts, we, we sort of ascribe the invention of the genre to a woman, to Mary Shelley. Um, with yes, I'm always surprised at how uh, my students don't think, when I sort of talk about science fiction being something that starts with a woman, that, that that sort of connection is not always obvious to everyone. Right, because if anything's worth doing, it's worth men completely taking over and uh, making their own and then shutting women out of it. <laughs> Tell us how, how do we really feel about it? Uh, so, uh, so we've, we've done a few films so far and we've been tweeting using the hashtag women make SF and we've just created a, a dedicated Twitter account to the project, which is at women make SF. Uh, and you've been promoting some other sort of women filmmaker and women producer type stuff with some other hashtags that we wanted to give a shout out to you. So what are those? Yeah, um, the reason that we've been doing the screenings on a Friday is so that I could link in or we could link in to um, Female Filmmaker Friday, um, which is a bit of a tongue twister, um, which promotes um, female filmmakers on Fridays. Um, it's an interesting one just in terms of seeing um, actual film producers promoting their own work as well as festivals and um, short film festivals that specifically um, cover women's um, filmmaking. Um, and there's a fair bit of science fiction in amongst that um, as well. Um, another tag that I use is Reclaim the Frame. Um, and this particular hashtag is interesting because it's been linked into um, the Women Make Film documentary by Mark Cousins, um, which was released recently um, on Blu-ray and through various different streaming platforms. Um, and Reclaim the Frame is a BFI-backed um, programme that um, comes from um, Bird's Eye View FF, or at Bird's Eye View FF, which is a London-based um, group that, again, are about promoting uh, women's filmmaking um, and creating that sense of community. And this idea of reclaiming the frame um, being sort of quite central to their... Um, campaign. Um, they've also been talking about reclaiming the canon as well, which obviously um, fits in with what I'm interested in as well in terms of thinking through how we define quality cinema, how we define quality science fiction and this idea of having um, the canon. Yeah, canon, a word that I never like unless it's actually talking about pirates. Um, <laughs> it's definitely you know coming from any sort of creative writing background and it, you know if you come up through academia in any sort of form whether it's on a creative writing program or a literature program or a film program it feels like someone has selected texts that a have no bearing on what you're currently doing and b are made by white men um just like hands down how do you get around that um, when a it's so difficult to 
to find works, as we found on this project, to find works that are diverse because they're not allowing these people, you know, non-white males into production. You know, we know that 75% of, of games development studios are white males, despite the fact that, that half of all players, more than half, are women. Uh, it, it just, you know, so then they go, oh, well, if if women were doing good things, wouldn't we have more to select from? And it's like, well, no, because the, the system is broken. Um, so it's it's important to amplify the voices uh, and, and try to avoid just the only voice being white and male, frankly. So some of this is about us thinking about challenging the stereotypes and the ideas of women don't like genre, women don't like science fiction, women don't make science fiction. Um, this idea that science fiction audiences are made up of men and their girlfriends, which is such a restrictive idea of the audience anyway. It assumes straight, white, yeah. male audience and strips out anyone else and any other perspective in terms of um, the pleasures that are gained from watching and experiencing and interacting with science fiction. One of my favorite slash least favorite uh, examples of, of this sort of bias that we've had in the, at least in the 20th century and the 21st century and, you know, for thousands of years before that. Uh, but um, is I was reading when I picked up my copy of James Tip Tiptree's Junior's uh the Criterion Collection or whatever it is, the collection of short stories, uh, the introduction to it, of course, written by a man um, and talks about basically how James Tiptree Jr.'s career, uh, who, by the way, is the pen name for Alice Sheldon, uh, how her career was amazing until everyone, until basically, uh, uh, she was outed. She was outed as a woman. And then and then suddenly she didn't write as well. It's it's amazing how that works. Um, but that his highest compliment for her was that she wrote science fiction like a man. And I'm like, A, rude. And B, what does that even mean? You know, it's she wrote better. <laughs> than men quite frankly um and and for that to be the compliment and and you see it a lot you know uh is that you know you're awfully good for a woman uh you know and it's like well hey um no how about that was let's... very successful for a film directed by a woman it was Ooh. unexpectedly popular so even <laughs> when films have done well like when wonder woman did well it was still sort of framed through this idea of it being a woman's film and a women-directed written film and that sort of like was part of what defined it gender then becomes part of that genre marker um and it's so problematic yeah, um, women are as as you have so succinctly put it women is not a genre no <laughs> <laughs> um and yet on the other hand i still think it's important to do projects that highlight, promote uh, women working in these particular fields, this idea of women in science fiction, women in horror, women in gaming, all of these sort of different um, process, not processes, um, 
discussions surrounding gender and um, creative practice um, and reception, um, you sort of get the blowback. Um, why are you sort of looking specifically at women? Surely gender doesn't matter. Um, all genders matter. It's that sort of like Ooh. discussion again. It, it's highlighting because they have so often not been at uh, the centre of these discussions. It's why Cousins is Women Make Film is such an interesting documentary. Um, it's really interesting as a film studies lecturer because it's it's teaching film studies using examples that you're just not used to and you can teach the same things in the same level of detail using those particular examples they've just not been um, incorporated because they're not accessible I mean if you look at a lot of the blurbs surrounding women make film um, it's about the fact that there's sort of thousands of hours of clips and uh, work that's gone into collecting those particular clips because a lot of them were held in archives or private collections they're not widely accessible so you get things like women's events and women's film festivals um, as a remark from I want to say it's Laura Mulvey but I've not quoted it uh, no it is it's the blurb for sorry <laughs> so for the blurb for one of the earliest uh, women's film festivals which was called the women's event um, at Edinburgh International Film Festival in 1972 uh, the advertising for this particular event um, included the line, a festival of men's films would be simply absurd. It's because so few women have been able to make films that this festival exists. Um, it's a depressing explanation, but still in enragingly relevant because you're still having to have these discussions that are so closely connected to gender, that are connected to breaking that canon, breaking that expectation of a particular... Um, genre or a particular audience or a particular can't think of a third thing I like things in threes <laughs> dun 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 in the next episode Amy comes up with the third item third thing list. so that she can have things in freaking threes <laughs> I was just thinking because I as you know I, I've recently read um, Romantic Outlaws, which is a biography of both Mary Shelley and her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft. Um, and Mary Wollstonecraft, uh, perhaps lesser known in science fiction circles because mostly she wrote philosophy, although she did write novels because at the time everybody wrote everything. Um, and and she fought very hard for women to be seen as equal and and for you know and, and her philosophies are still so relevant but it's still that at the turn of the 18th century um that that basically we're not much farther ahead than than they were then the fact that that you know Mary Shelley um, you know, did what, what she wanted to do. She was absolutely castigated for her, her immoral affairs with Percy Shelley, even after they were married. And the fact that most of his work, she edited thoroughly after his death and published. And, and yet people still, you know, and, and as writers do, they traded work, uh, amongst, you know, between each other. It was, they were very respectful of each other's work and he was very respectful of her work, surprisingly. Um, 
and supported her work and helped her. But now, you know, the discourse is, well, clearly Percy Shelley wrote most of Frankenstein. But they don't talk about his work in the same way that, oh, clearly Mary Shelley wrote most of his poetry. No, they never would. Um, and, and so it's all of those issues are still so relevant and we've, we've been fighting this for hundreds of years, um, for some element of recognition and, and, and in her lifetime, Frankenstein was never recognized as interesting. In fact, it was gross and immoral and how dare she, and it's disgusting and, and, and that, and she was judged for it where now it's, you know. It's a classic, um, but we just sort of brush over all of that, and we brush over a lot of what she was saying in Frankenstein about creation of humanity, about motherhood, uh, and it gets turned into, you know, the power of man and and godliness and medicine. It's, it's but, sort of playing God, man playing yeah. God sort of narrative that is remembered from Frankenstein rather than the sort of Mm-hmm. narratives surrounding creation and and artificial motherhood and the, and the sort of narratives around that to yeah. into thinking about how women are defined by that absolutely particular. i mean and she's writing it you know in the wake of several miscarriages and the birth of her very first child and she lost she lost i think two, two children in their youth you know, in their toddler mm-hmm. years. So a lot of what she was writing was very close to home for her. Um, and that's just sort of brushed brushed over because it's been men um, leading the criticism, leading the discourse. Um, and I think that that's where, you know, even as our, our media, as our storytelling media advance in terms of technology into film and games and digital fiction it's we've seen this repeat itself over and over and over again right so uh, a form is very interesting and when it's still experimental we have a large number of women participating in it but then once it's very clear that it's you know it's part of mainstream society uh that starts to drop away as the opportunities decrease uh so we definitely see that in film we see that in book publishing uh we see that in um definitely in games and then there, you, you have this inevitable swing of the pendulum where it's like hey we're half of your audience come on and and also we would like to make these things as well uh and and so it's it's really important i think uh for us to shine a spotlight on on these uh, it, not as a genre but as creators these creators of of culture um producers of culture that we just don't acknowledge their contributions to because um, they're not massive blockbuster hits. And the reason they're not massive blockbuster hits is because the studios aren't putting millions of of dollars and pounds into marketing them into massive blockbuster hits. Um, So it's a vicious circle. uh, And so it's important to spotlight that, I think. So why are you particularly interested in looking at other forms of science fiction? Obviously, I'm a film studies uh, person. <laughs> I look at screen media, film, television, video game, uh, not video games, video music videos. I'm interested in sort of visual media um, forms. What other forms um, of science fiction um, do you think we're going to cover and um, why? Well, I mean, 
obviously it's going to center a lot on film uh, because this, you know, you're leading this project and and that's where we come <laughs> together in our interests. Um, uh, you know, science fiction and film are definitely where we, we connect the most. Um, but also, you know, my background clearly from what I've talked about so far is, is I have a very heavy literary background. Uh, so a lot of my references and my sort of historical understanding will be based in literature, although we're not specifically going to look at print literature. Uh, for one thing, because it expands the field so much, because it is the one area in which there's actually a lot of women writing science fiction. Um, although I could I could probably do a whole episode on my own about exactly the problems that are going on there. Um, but um Personally, my interest is in uh, digital fiction. That's that's stories, narratives that are uh, created on and for digital devices. So things that involve gameplay, uh, interactivity, um, user participation, those sorts of things, nonlinear narratives. And, and it's a really broad definition. It includes everything from text adventure games of the old Zork kind to hypertext fiction to walking sims uh, like Gone Home uh, and the Stanley Parable type things. Um, so because that is actually an interesting area where we see some some interesting voices emerge because those those types of forms vacillate between mainstream awareness and acceptance and completely experimental. And even the same form goes back and forth. So like inter when I say interactive fiction, that's what it is now. But in the 80s, it was the main commercial form of, of computer games. Uh, and it was it was, I will say, almost entirely men creators. There were some very, some rather prominent uh, women creators that then who worked at Infocom and that sort of thing. Um, but like Centipede, one of the the first you know well known games that was created by a woman, uh, and. And then gradually, as games become really huge, we start to see this male domination. You know, we know AAA games are just dominated by this white male first-person shooter stereotype, which is what actually gives rise to some of these indie games and um, these alternate voices like Anna Anthropy and Porpentine and and all of the rest. And um, and so that's. I'm interested in, in where we're getting our voices there and how they're emerging because we do have a, an emerging indie game scene uh, and digital fiction in and of itself because it's not mainstream is indie, uh, although there's not a lot of science fiction. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's where I'm coming from, what I'm interested in, in looking at in terms of women producing things. I think that idea of it being, we're talking a lot here about sort of systemic issues that run through the industry. Um, Mar Hicks' book, Programmed Inequality, um, she looks at the sort of history of computing, the idea that the earliest programmers were women, and this sort of, um, it's about this idea of um, the history of programming, the sort of hidden history of programming being in uh, women's um, contributions, that sort of hidden labour of um, women in the industry. Um, and I think this idea of the inequality and the imbalance is something that happens a lot across the creative industries as you get uh, women sort of innovating and involved at that initial stage when you're a computer and a computer means that you literally do the sums and 
put in the data, uh, once it becomes something, I don't know, university, sort of. Yeah, what point is it at which... Obviously, I need to reread the programme to quality. <laughs> cease to be... Right? At which they cease to be oh, women's work and somehow become important enough for men to take over. Like, there's that... It, right? So it's it's storytelling. It's novels, right? When novels were first um, started to be published, it was mostly, you know, they were trash, especially in, in terms of academic discussion. The origins of, of the study of literature had nothing to do with novels and everything to do with poetry. It was poetry. Novels were trash. And now, of course, films and games are trash and literature is all that's important and that includes uh, but not genre literature Whoa, we would never look at sci-fi but of course we can look at sci-fi by men like 1984 and and anything that that you know george orwell wrote and 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 all those sorts of things well but they're classics um so you know but then you end up with people like atwood who then sort of jump into the fray by sort of pulling themselves in and out of that definition of science fiction. And I think that's part of the reason I want to use SF rather than science fiction, because SF sort of covers that sort of speculative fiction um, side of things as well. It allows for the space um, for Afrofuturism as well. So in the next episode, we'll talk a bit about uh, Welcome to the Terror Dome again. Um, and which I don't think I mentioned the name of the film earlier. I talked about Negozian Warrior, but I'm not sure I said that the film we screened was actually called Welcome to the Terror Dome. Cool, I'll get better at this. Um, this sort of idea of is it science fiction uh, is part of that discussion that we want to, to have. Well, yeah, but even I think that the the reason that Margaret Atwood separates herself so so much from science fiction has to do with the structures of creative writing programs and how sexist they are, because when you're in them, they preclude any sort of genre fiction. They say, if you're writing anything that can be science fiction, you will be marked down. You, I mean, the number of creative writing programs uh, and modules and workshops I'm in, I was in where they said, okay, you know, literary fiction only. Well, what the F is literary fiction? What they mean is you can only write something if it's going to be good. Well, how the how do you get there? Um, and what if, you know, what if you want to write something that includes space or speculation? And so I, you know, I like the definition speculative fiction, and I like the fact that it asks what if, but I think all science fiction on, on a certain level asks what if. Um, but also I think that, you know, we've em embraced the term speculative fiction so much because science, you know, this, the field of literature has basically kicked it around so badly that now it's this this dirty redheaded little stepchild of of literature and film and you know not so much games. I think that that's an interesting distinction. So many games are science fiction, um, but that you have to that people like Margaret Atwood who want that respectability um have to somehow separate themselves from the named genre. So yeah, so you know we're going to talk more about our definitions of science fiction in the next episode. Uh and we're going to get into some of these concepts a little bit deeper. 
because uh, we really did just want to do an overview of the project and what we're doing and where we're coming from. Um, so I'm going to jump on to, to the next sort of thing that we wanted to cover, which um, why we're specifically using the word women and, and attempting, even though some of our compatriots in the hashtag realms in terms of uh, female filmmaker Fridays and, and that sort of thing, use the word female. So, so what's, I don't what's the background? I don't want it to there? be that female is a dirty word. It, I sort of I, I I'm quite strict in my own writing and in my own discussions of um, women on screen to use the term women because it is not so closely tied to discussions of biology and biological sex, but rather to this notion and construction of gender. It's to do with gender politics. Uh, women is a more inclusive term for people who define who define themselves as women and identify identify as women. women. It doesn't exclude uh, those people who don't um, or choose not to use female as a marker um, as well. It's a discussion I've had with quite a few um, women historians and uh, media producers thinking about this idea of uh, women. So I have friends over at the um, excellent podcast and um, online magazine and publication, uh, Lady Science, um, which looks about this idea of using lady as a, a marker. So a, we have a doctor and a lady doctor. You have a filmmaker and a lady filmmaker. So they're sort of making fun of that. But also within their sort of rules um, and guidelines for writing for lady science, um, there is this discussion around the term women and thinking about when we use women, women, female. Um, and I'm very much against using them interchangeably. Uh, I did a interview for the Observer newspaper, um, and it was my first sort of like big interview as an expert. Um, and um, I got misquoted as saying "strong female character," uh, which, for anyone who knows me, that is just grinds. Gag. Um, so um, mm. I can now tell all my students have had this in- indoctrinated. So I get lots of "this has strong agentic women in it," and I'm like, "Yes, it does." It does not have any strong female characters. It has agentic women. Um, so it's to do with with thinking about intersectionality and how this fits with um, thinking beyond the canon because intersectionality is so important to that in terms of thinking about how not only um, women's experiences um, can be thought through but also the intersections of queer culture with um, people of colour and writers of, of, of colour who are working in this particular... These, these moments of um, intersection are really interesting as well. So actually thinking through um, where people get lost in the gap between male and female, women sort of allows for a bit more fluidity in terms of who we're defining and how we're incorporating different voices. Absolutely. And I think that, so for us, the way that we use the terms, um, and, and I will slip occasionally because, uh, I'm, I'm not quite as, uh, I don't, I don't discuss this, this topic in my writing and my academic stuff quite as often as, as you do. Um, so I, I will more frequently use the word female just as an adjective. Um, but, uh, from your perspective, it's more that the female is the biological sort of you, 
you have two double X chromosomes and not even me as a former geneticist. I, that's so problematic because that doesn't define uh, a, an actual sex characteristic. Um, so when basically when we say women, we are meaning anyone who identifies themselves as women um, and and. And and a note on the intersectionality, um, you're hearing our voices and you know that we're one Brit and one American, but uh, for full clarity, we are two white women. Um, and that in and of itself, we acknowledge as problematic, um, particularly in the academy, uh, the representation of of. BAME, um, people of color, uh, is, is poor. It is paltry. And, um, you know, uh, as people who are privileged to be within the academy, uh, we do feel that we need to amplify those voices and as much as possible. So, so what we're going to be doing is as much as possible, amplifying voices, uh, of, from, all different cultures, all different uh, nations. Um, we're not definitely not restricting our our film watching or our digital fiction reading to uh, stuff that's only in English. It's a little bit easier for digital fiction because most of that isn't translated. So we may have to focus on on English there. But films come with subtitles, so so we're watching subtitled stuff um, and. We would love to hear about suggestions, um, not not putting the burden of all of our uh, intersectionality on anyone else. But if there's something we haven't considered, please, please let us know. Um, and and because it shouldn't just shouldn't just be our voices uh, being heard here. Um, this is this is a longer first episode than we didn't initially plan. We clearly have a lot that we we want to talk about here. Um, in the next episode, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more about our definitions of science fiction, um, and and probably get into some somewhat existential discussions because we actually have very differing definitions of, of science fiction. So that'll be interesting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the line between SF and fantasy, SF and myth. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, what we're defining as, as woman made, uh, because it's, it's easy when you look at a novel to go, Oh, it's the author's name. Uh, and it becomes a lot harder when you talk about, uh, collaborative work like film or games. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit and we'll, we'll talk about, um, are we talking about the first three Probably. films in the next episode? Yes. Definitely the first two. Probably. Okay. Okay. So we'll talk about Welcome to the Terror Dome and Tank Girl in our, at the very least, if not also Evolution, in our next episode. So thank you very much for joining us. Until next time, may we not be replaced by robots. And especially not by men. 